Normally when someone like me speaks in front of an audience, the audience is sort of divided up into three different groups of various different proportions. Um, one group of the audience is someone who, a group of people who are in the situation, the exact situation that, that is being talked about, and so they understand the, the situation, what's being addressed. Um, another group is just kind of coming out of a situation of what the topic is being addressed, and so they also understand what's going on. And then there's a third group who really has no idea what's happening and they don't understand the topic because they haven't experienced it just yet. And usually those are the younger people in the room. But yet today though, with our current situation and kind of through this unique season that we're in, I get the unique opportunity to speak to you about something that really all of you are, are relating with and can relate with just like I can relate with as well. Kind of going into this season of in the meantime. Today we're starting a new series called In the Meantime and really um, it's kind of answering a question that really we all have asked in some form or another. Um, basically the question of what do you do when there's nothing that you can do? What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? What do you do when you find yourself in a set of circumstances and it just doesn't seem like there's any way that things are going to change? It doesn't seem like there's any way that things are going to get better. And there's problems that you can solve but there's also unsolvable problems at times. And at some point in your life, and, and in my life, and for many of us, multiple times throughout our life, we kind of come to these moments and these points in our lives, these set of circumstances, a season of our life, when it is what it is, and it just isn't probably going to change, and there's really no way to change those set of circumstances that you're in. And doesn't that just kind of describe the situation that we're in right now? That we're just kind of in a situation right now with this, with this coronavirus and our shelter-in-place order, that it just doesn't seem like there's anything we can do that will actually change the situation, literally the thing that we can do is nothing by staying at our homes and literally doing nothing. That's the way that we can actually help and address the situation. Now, some of you also might be thinking of other examples throughout your life that you've gone through where you felt this same kind of thing, that you were in a in the meantime kind of situation where there was just nothing that seemed that you could do. And maybe it was relationally for some of you. Uh, maybe uh, you, uh, you've been in a relationship with your spouse or you're in a marriage or you're in any sort of relationship where you sort of want to see the relationship continue but you also don't really think it's working out. And um, you know, it's not really a great relationship, it's not a great marriage, but you or he or she doesn't really want to get a divorce or doesn't really want to separate. And also, nobody really wants to change either. And it's just kind of in that moment where it doesn't seem like anything's really working. Um, some of you, maybe uh, it is or it was your kids. Or maybe kids, it is or was your parents. And it just doesn't seem like the, the life that you had projected for yourself or the life that your parents had projected for you, it's just not going to work out the way that you thought it would or the way that they thought it would. And it just seems like you're in this situation where nothing is going to change. And their options and your options aren't going to be what you thought they were going to be. Maybe academically, you're, you're not doing the grades that you needed to get, that you were told or your parents told you, um, you know, these grades are going to count, these grades are important, and you just didn't quite get it. And now your options seem to be limited. Or maybe for some of you, um, it's a kid or it's you that got engaged and all of a sudden now you have this extra family, this extended family that um, you're not too excited about and you're just kind of stuck with them and it just sort of is what it is. And in these moments, usually when we're gathered together, I uh, sort of enjoy hearing the, the nervous laughter in the audience. And so I'm going to just kind of imagine that there might be some nervous laughter right now. Um, for maybe for others of you, it's financially, that financially you're in a situation where your dreams just aren't coming true and maybe they just can't come true financially and there's nothing that you can do about it. Others of you, maybe it's professionally. Maybe the profession or the job that you were in just didn't work out. It's not going to work out. You just sort of got removed from a whole industry, the industry that you were in, and um, your dreams aren't coming true. And it's not just that you need to wait a few minutes, a few days, a few years. That thing is just not going to happen. This is the new normal for you. For others of you, maybe it's a health issue. Uh, maybe you're not going to die of whatever they diagnosed you with. 
but it's going to be chronic and it's going to be painful and it's going to continue to last and maybe even be debilitating in your life. And they can treat it, but they can't cure it. And this is now your new reality. And for all of us, I think we come to these places um, that we're going to call during this series, we're going to call in the meantime moments where you're kind of in between. You don't really know exactly what to do. You really can't do anything. It's just the way that it is. Because you were in or you are in a set of circumstances with really no solution and no way forward. There's some options, but all the options just seem to varying degrees of bad, right? They're not necessarily good options. So what are you going to do? Well, you can run. You don't want to run. You could abandon your family. You don't want to abandon your family. You could give up on your kids, but you don't want to give up on your kids. You could quit, but you don't want to quit. You could just drink yourself into oblivion. But you know that that won't last forever either, and that will eventually lead to more consequences and more problems as well. And then there's kind of this thing inside of all of us, I think. There's kind of this internal battle inside of us that um, we, when we look at circumstances like this, we sort of get jealous of other people. We sort of look around at other people, and we look at their wrinkle-free life, and we think, that was supposed to be my life. That that was somehow supposed to be the thing that I was working towards, that I was moving towards, and I was supposed to be living that way. And they don't seem to struggle in their life. And I'm struggling every hour, day by day. Um, you know, somehow they're able to get all their work done and help their kids with school and play a game of Monopoly. And nobody throws the board all over the place and messes up the pieces and gets angry. <laughs> and I'm barely able to get any work done and no schoolwork done with my kids. And it just looks like we're looking around at other people thinking that should have been my life. And it's so easy to compare. It's so easy to get resentful. It's really easy to get angry, and it's super, super easy to start comparing, to look at other people and to compare our life. Because all of us, we have a preferred a picture of what the preferred future we want is supposed to be. We all have a picture of what family is supposed to be, what romance is supposed to be, um, what being stable financially looked like. And right now, I think all of us had a picture of what 2020 was going to look like. And it doesn't look like what it is right now. And unfortunately... Um, sometimes, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, sometimes Christians can just say stupid things in these moments, or just sort of silly things, I should say, maybe, um, that someone comes along to you and says, oh, God answered my prayer. And you look at them and say, well, how did God answer your prayer? What did God do to answer your prayer? And they tell you, I lost my keys. And all of a sudden, I was asking God to help me find my keys. And then I found my keys. And you look at them and you think, oh, I hate you. Like, you wouldn't know what a problem was if it was staring you in the face. And sometimes Christians, we just sort of make this a little bit more difficult and hard on people. And it's just so easy to go down this road of, of not seeing the preferred future that we really want. And then some of us, again, we find ourselves in a set of circumstances and it's just not going to change. And what do you do when nothing's going to change? What is your response to that? Because unfortunately, sometimes everyone else around you sort of reminds you, not necessarily even on purpose, but with their smile or with their kids or with their lives or just with the invitations that they have, the graduations that they're going to, the, the vacations, what they drive and where they're living and all these different things. And it just sort of reminds you of what won't be for you, that you can't even hope for it anymore. Because it might just be that this is an in the meantime sort of moment for you. Unfortunately, though, in these seasons, we also start to tell ourselves a few lies and um, we start to tell ourselves some things that just really aren't true. And we kind of come to these bad conclusions. Um, a few of these that I want to share with you. One is that I'll never be happy again. 
that I sort of long for the days of middle school, maybe, or high school, or freshman year of college, or first few years of marriage, or first, you know, young kids situation, what, whatever the years are you look back on and say, I was happy then, things were so great, I wish I could go back to that, but now I'm never going to be happy again because of something that's happened along, your, along the way. The second one is that we really say that nothing good can come from this. And, um, you know, you might start to talk to me a little bit at this point and say, Pastor Chris, I don't want to hear any sort of Bible story. I don't want to hear any sort of like Jesus swoops in and heals them and rescues them. And and all of a sudden things are better. Like, I don't want to hear that because in my situation, things aren't going to get better. There's nothing good that can come out of this situation. And maybe yet for some of you, you even go down to a little bit more desperate step that there's really no point in continuing. There's no reason to continue to struggle. There's no reason to continue to battle. There's no reason to continue fighting in this relationship or for this relationship because it's just not going to get better. It's just not worth it. There's no purpose behind it. And really at the epicenter of all this is sort of an emotional component that maybe some of you are starting to feel, whether it's with the coronavirus or whether it's just with your own life internally, but sort of this internal thing that, especially Christians, um, but we start asking these questions of, does God even know? Does God even care? Does, is God even concerned? Does God even hear my prayers? Because if he did, and if somehow I knew that God was somehow aware and knew what was happening, it might just be enough to help me get through this situation. And the good news is, if you're a Christian, the New Testament, the second part of the scriptures, actually addresses this. And the good news is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're still figuring it out, the New Testament addresses this. And we think that there's a, a way forward in dealing with these kind of situations. Because for some of you, this may be the very season of your life where God has your undivided attention. He sort of stopped everything and happening. Maybe he didn't stop it directly, but he sort of got this moment, this opportunity where he sort of allowed things to happen, it seems, and he's been able to get some of our attention. And maybe you're as mad or confused or frustrated or just unsure about who God could be. And you're you're not even sure God's there, but you catch yourself praying and asking God, why are you doing this? And you think, I'm not even sure I believe in God, but whoever can solve this, I just want to sort of reach out to them and, 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 and reach out to them in some way. And the good news is that God will take this season. God will take that little, that little half-hearted prayer or uncertain prayer or disbelieving prayer, and he can use it to help you. And this isn't something new. And again, the emotional part of this is sort of the, the, the question of where is God in all this? And maybe some of you are asking that question right now. Where is God in all this situation that we're going through? Maybe it has nothing to do with coronavirus. Maybe it's everything else outside of that. Or maybe it's that itself. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of state a truth to you. And then I want to kind of try to illustrate it through a couple stories. Um, one that we're going to look at and one that I'm going to mention that you can look at later. And um, talk about this a little bit. And this is going to kind of set us up for this series that we're going to talk about this topic for the next few weeks. And we'd love for you to join us over that. So the truth is that God is not absent. God is not apathetic or angry. And I want to kind of look at each segment of this for just a second. God is not absent, even though at times God feels absent. I felt like God is absent at times. It's okay to feel that sometimes God is absent. That doesn't mean he actually is though. Um, The second thing is that God is not apathetic. It's not like God's sort of up on a cloud somewhere at the top of the universe and like saying, like, what's your name again? Like, what's, what, who are you? Like, you know, I gotta, I gotta like run this whole universe and I gotta keep things going. And you know, there's people really suffering in other parts that are much worse than you. And like, I'll get to you and I can get to you and that whole kind of thing. God is not, not apathetic, even though when you're in an in the meantime kind of situation, it may feel like God is apathetic, but that doesn't mean that God actually is apathetic. And then lastly, God is not angry. 
Because when we get in these kind of situations, a lot of us, we sort of look around for reasons. We look around for what did I do wrong or what did I do to deserve this? Or why is God punishing me for whatever happened? Or what did I do to, to get God to punish me? And we go on a search and we sort of look for things. And maybe some of you are even in that moment right now. That's why you're watching right now. We're so glad that you're with us. But maybe for some of you, you're like, I needed to kind of like do something right. Or I need to be in church, you know, virtually right now, be in church. Or I, I need to give some money. Or I need to do something good for somebody. Because then maybe God's favor will be back. Or somehow I'll get my luck back. Or, or God's blessing sometimes we use in the church, church lingo. And the good news is that God is not absent. God is not apathetic. And God is not angry. And as we sort of referenced last week, if you want to go back and watch Easter, we're going to kind of highlight Easter a little bit, that God's silence um, or, God, or suffering in general does not equal God's absence. And sometimes we can make that equation a little bit more uh, linear than it actually is. Um, before we kind of jump into the kind of the meat of the message and the heart of the message today, I do want to I quickly kind of poke around at something that I think is true for all of us. So I'm not just poking around in your life, I'm, I'm poking around in my life as well. And um, I think it's something that we need to recognize about ourselves. And sort of in the midst of these in the meantime moments um, where everything is dark and it seems like God is distant and we sort of look up to God and we ask God, where are you and can you help me and, and would you please be, um, be there for us? And it just seems that he's silent. There's a little bit of hypocrisy in there for us, for, for me and for you. Because there is something that I know that about you and about me and about all of us, that there have been nights or there was a, a day in your life, or there was a spring break in your life, or there was a season, there was a weekend, there was a date in your life, or there was a business trip in your life, where the presence of God was sort of the furthest thing from your mind, if you're being honest, right? Maybe some of you, there's more than one, right? And isn't it true that in our lives, we all have seasons, or we have moments, or we have days, or we have weekends, where God's presence was the furthest thing from our mind? And God, we, we didn't just reach out to God and say, God, I just want to feel your presence. In fact, some ways we went the opposite direction and said, we don't want to feel God's presence. And so we, we planned on purpose to spend time sinning, to doing something bad, whatever you want to define sin as. Like you planned it, you booked a reservation for sin, like you've got sin in the back um, of your car on ice, you've got sin like stuffed underneath your chair hoping the cops don't find it, or you've got like sin like, you don't remember sin like the person that you sinned with's last name, but you remember that first name. Anyhow, you kind of have this whole situation, and in the, in the moment, we just like want to do sin and want to, like God is the furthest thing from our mind, and we don't think like, well, let me just turn on some worship music, and God, I just want to sense your presence, right? All of us have been in moments where we sinned on purpose and we didn't want the presence of God to be around us. And in those hypocritical moments, it's kind of interesting, almost the exact same thing happens in those hypocritical moments as happens in the meantime moments. Where we say, well, God doesn't really care what I'm doing right now. And also like, we don't know if God cares about right now in these meantime moments. And so we sort of hope that God doesn't care when we're sinning. We also say things like, well, well, God doesn't take like my individual behavior into account. Like it doesn't really matter what I do specifically. Like it's somehow bigger than that, we hope. Or God doesn't even know my name. Like I'm not even sure there really is a God. And so it doesn't really even matter. And I'm just kind of going to do this. And whatever the generational song is for you, life is a highway or it's my way or born to be wild or whatever. We just kind of turn that music up and we just sort of live our way. And in those moments, we just shut God out. And again, this isn't to point fingers at you. I've done this as well. I've had a season or a night or a few, a few times where I purposely didn't want to feel God's presence. I didn't want to do anything with that. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And isn't it amazing that when we don't want to feel God's presence, we have a way of finding out how to shut God's voice and God's presence out of our lives. And all of us have done that. 
And see, the reason, though, that we know that God is not absent, the reason that we know that God is not angry or apathetic is that when he sent Jesus to die on the cross, he sort of settled it once and for all that God actually cares about you and he knows your name. That it sort of settled whether or not he, he loves you and is concerned about you in your life. That even in those dark moments when, when you sort of tuned out the presence of God, God was present. And now, in those in the meantime moments where you want God to be present, you're asking if God is present, God is still present as well. So let me quickly tell you a little bit about how I deal with this, and then I'm going to share a little bit of a, a story, again, an example from Scripture. Um, one of the things that still amazes me, I've been doing a pastoral kind of work for about 15 years now, if you can believe that. Um, I've been a pastor for 15 years, and it never seems to fail that moment after moment, when I get ready to teach about something, God sort of gives me a fresh experience with that thing before it happens in the days or weeks leading up to me talking about it. And it just sort of even happened again this week where I'm sort of in the, in the meantime moment. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not really in control. And, and I would love to tell you that the reason why these things happen is that, you know, I don't want to pretend. I don't want to get up in front of you on a Sunday and, and sort of make up things or sort of, you know, lead you down a path that things are really better than they actually are and kind of all this thing and sort of make this fake presentation to you. I'd love to think that it's my desire to do that. But I think reality, it's actually God's desire that I'm able to come before people. I think pastors in general are able to come before their audience and actually understand what it is to struggle and what it actually is to go through these situations in the meantime moments. And God sort of gave me, again, a fresh sort of experience with that this week. And one of the ways I think we can approach these kind of situations in our lives when you have big doubts or when you have lots of questions, unanswered questions, or you just hear a story from somebody that's really painful. And if you've watched the news, there's a lot of painful stories right now. It just sort of sweeps the leg, sweeps the leg out of your, the legs from underneath your faith. And the question is this, did this happen to anyone else in the New Testament? I think it's a good question that when you experience one of these moments, you sort of ask the question, has this happened to anyone else? Because if it has happened to someone else that has bigger faith than me or has somehow a connection with God, it sort of shows me that you can still have a faith in God when parts or maybe the whole thing of your life is a little bit uncertain and you're a little bit unsure about things. That if other people, even just one person who I know loved and cared about God, if they had the same question or they had to have the same kind of experience or they had the same doubts, then I think, well, okay, I can actually still follow God and still believe in God and have these concerns or have these doubts or these questions. And I would say right now, if you're in, in the meantime kind of situation, but the reality is we're not if, it's we all are in an in the meantime situation right now. And it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to have a lot of questions. God isn't afraid of your questions. And the good news is that you are not alone and you are not the first one to have those kind of doubts or those questions. So today, real quickly, I want to kind of highlight a quick scripture. I'll, I'll share another one with you that maybe you can read this week if you want. And then um, we'll jump into to wrapping up the message here. Um, so real quickly, I want to touch on one story again that, um, that I think will help us in this. And um, th there's lots of actually moments in Jesus' time on earth and throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament as well, where people would sort of ask the question, God, are you there? Where are you? Do you love me? Do you know my name? I need you to give me a sign. And even when Jesus was on this earth, there was people that were around Jesus that would ask the same kind of questions of Jesus and of God in general. And some of you know this story, some of you don't, that's okay. We're going we're gonna to walk you through it real quickly. Um, but I don't think you can really understand the significance of this story if you don't take time to pause and kind of look at the locations that are mentioned in the scriptures. And I don't typically know a whole lot about the Middle East and where these, these stories took place, but we're going to pause for a second and help us to understand 
with some pictures, but also to help understand the, the actuality of this story and what it actually means. Because some of us, I think, could jump a little too quickly through it. So basically, one day, Jesus is sort of teaching in a place called Galilee, which I'll explain in a second. Um, and he's got some of his core guys, his real close people. And then another set of guys comes and meets him, and they're sent from their leader to come ask him a question. They basically say, Jesus, we have a question. We're John the Baptist's disciples, and we follow him and his teachings and what he's leading us to. And um, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask you this question. And then we're going to take the answer that you give us and go back to John the Baptist. And so the question is, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that we're waiting for? Are you Jesus? Are you really Jesus, the one that's sent from God? And, um, and it would basically be the, the same as saying, are you the one that we've been waiting on? Should we go find someone else? Because we're kind of wondering if you're actually the one. And the question would be, well, why didn't John just come and ask Jesus this himself? This seems like an important enough question. Why wouldn't John the Baptist come and ask Jesus himself? And the answer is, if you don't know, John the Baptist was in prison when this happened. He wasn't able to kind of go and talk to Jesus. And the reason that he was in prison was because John the Baptist would sort of preach and teach and um, he would talk about sin and repentance and turning away from your sin. And then he would use political people of the time as examples, as bad examples of what they were not supposed to be doing. And Herod, King Herod at the time, and his wife were the examples. Now Herod didn't mind it too much, but his wife didn't really like it at all. And so eventually John the Baptist is thrown into prison and he's rested and he's put into a dungeon in the desert in an area called Machaerus. And um, it's kind of on a hilltop out in the desert, and it's just kind of, uh, you know, hot probably, right? It's in the desert. And so John the Baptist is put there, he's left there, and time goes by, and time goes by, and time goes by. And he begins to have what we would have when time goes by, and things don't change, circumstances don't change. He begins to have doubts, and he begins to be a little bit uncertain about things. Now, the interesting thing about John the Baptist is, it's very clear that Jesus loved John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus was like related to him in some way. And John the Baptist was out preaching one day and he saw Jesus and he identified him and said, that's the one you should follow. Stop following me and follow him, basically. He sort of announced Jesus coming. And so here's what actually Jesus says about John the Baptist. I tell you the truth. If you want to follow along the Bible app, we'd love for you to. I'll put the, lyric, uh, the verses on the screen and you can follow the notes uh, in the chat. We'll have a link to the notes as well. But uh, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this about John the Baptist. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than than John the Baptist. Like, wouldn't you like to have Jesus say that about you? Like, this is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. And, and that's what Jesus thinks of John the Baptist. But now John the Baptist isn't so sure about what he thinks about Jesus because he's been in prison for a long time and nothing's really changed. And I'll be honest with you, what, what happens next, if you were sort of making up this story, if you just wanted to, to get people to believe a certain way and to follow a certain path, or, or you wanted to get people to believe that Jesus was like a good guy and he's somebody that you should follow and, and you know, um, you wouldn't have included this next part. You wouldn't have included these parts of the story with John the Baptist. Uh, jumping to Matthew chapter 4, kind of before this happened, when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested. Now, this was before, again, his disciples came, right? This is, this is before the story that I just talked to you about. This is when Jesus first heard that John the Baptist had been arrested because, you know, talking about Herod and his wife as bad examples of sin and that whole thing will get you thrown in prison sometimes. John the Baptist, when he, when he got into prison and Jesus finally heard about it, what do you think Jesus did? Like, do you think he went and visited him? Do you think he like mailed him a care package, sent him a, a, a cake that he baked or baked him some bread or, or maybe sent his own followers to go and visit John the Baptist because he cared about him. Nobody's greater than him. Like, what do you think Jesus would actually do? Maybe even just get him out of prison. You know, John, Jesus seemed to have miracle powers. Maybe he could just do that. What do you think the son of God 
Jesus, related to John the Baptist, this guy who announced Jesus' coming and, and how much, uh, you know, how amazing he was that he was the savior of the world, what do you think he would do when John the Baptist is put in prison? Well, we're going to find out. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He first went to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, I want you to kind of imagine a map. I couldn't find a really good map, but basically you got to think of the top and the bottom, north and south. John the Baptist is kind of in the south over here and kind of the southeast a little bit. Jesus is up here in the north by this, this lake, the Sea of Galilee, and he's sort of kind of moving around. He, he's in one spot, then he goes to Nazareth, which is sort of a little bit away, and then he moves again and he moves up to Capernaum, which is the top of the lake, right on the lake there. And he almost moves in the opposite direction from where John the Baptist is down in the south. And when he finds out, that's what he does. Like he doesn't go closer or he doesn't even stay in the same spot, you know, so he's like at least the same distance away. He literally goes further away from John the Baptist. And you would have thought that Jesus maybe would have gone closer. But that's where you and I are. That's what we feel at times. That this is how we feel, that we're in the desert, we're down here in the desert in the south, and Jesus is up here in the north, and he's just sort of hanging out, and he's just sort of doing his thing. And like, could you give me at least a visit, Jesus? Like, could you come and visit me? Like, I'm your relative. Could you send me a letter, bake me a cake? Could you just let me know that you care, that you know that something's happening to me? And I'll be honest, this next part, this picture that I'm going to show you actually sort of makes it worse, because here is a view from Capernaum. Like, he's just at a nice lake, or to use our context, he's at the beach. Like, he's at the beach, and John the Baptist is in prison somewhere in the Central Valley where it's hot. <laughs> and it's just like, what, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, you're just staying up at this nice place, just kind of hanging out, while John the Baptist is in, like, a desert dungeon, and, like, bad things are happening, and it's, like, over a year goes by, maybe, like, a year and a half or so, and he finally sends his guys to ask Jesus the question, like, what about me, Jesus? Like, what about me? What, what's going on? Like, have you forgotten about your own blood? Your cousin, the guy who announced that you were the savior of the world? And so Jesus, again, is up in Capernaum, up, up here, kind of far away. Maybe he's under a palm tree. And they ask him this. They send his disciples to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Like, John has a question, like, are you really Jesus? Are you really the one? Are you the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for for years and, and our ancestors have been waiting for for a long time? He's beginning to have his doubts and he's a little bit unsure. And, and Jesus, just to be honest, I can't, like, go back and tell him where you actually are because this is too beautiful. Like, that picture, that was too beautiful. Like, I can't tell him where you are. He's in a dungeon in the desert. Like, he's really discouraged. Verse 4, Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see and the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is preached to the poor. Yeah, like, here's what I want you to tell them. Like, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I want you to tell them that I am the one. And I want you to tell them about all the things that I'm doing to help people. That I'm doing for everyone else. I want you to tell them about all the people that you've seen that are healed. I want you to tell them about all the people that, that used to not be able to walk, that are now walking, that, are, that were blind and now are seeing. I want you to tell them about the prisoners that have been set free. Okay, like figuratively, like don't tell them literally. Okay, maybe just don't tell him that part because he won't like that. But I just want you to tell John that, yeah, yeah, like keep believing in me because of what you've actually seen me doing for everyone else. And there again is sort of our life at times. It just seems like God is doing something for everyone else. And the reason that I tell that is that when you're hanging out in Macaris and you're down in the desert dungeon 
and it seems like God is kind of far away and he's doing something else in this beautiful area, Jesus still loved John from that far away. Jesus still cared about John from that far away. He still knew his name and he still knew what was going on in his life. And he did it for John the Baptist, the greatest man on the planet. And he may be doing that for you in this rough season that we're going through, in the meantime season that we're in. What's kind of interesting is right after this, John the Baptist guys, they sort of leave and they, they go back and tell John the Baptist what happened. And right after they leave, Jesus says one of the most interesting things, really, I think he, that he really said, and it's something that you could look past really quickly. He said this, and Jesus added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. And this is a really powerful, powerful statement. This is almost an admission of guilt on Jesus' part. He's basically saying that blessed is anyone who does not stumble because of me. Like blessed is those, um, blessed are those who do not interpret my silence as absence. Blessed are those uh, to the, the one um, who still believes in me when I don't do certain things or when I do do certain things and it just doesn't seem like I'm actually for them or I don't answer their prayers the way that they want. Or I don't change the circumstances the way that they want. Blessed is the person that trusts in me and believes in me and follows me. Almost in spite of me, Jesus would say. Like, that's pretty amazing that Jesus would say this. Basically, in other words, don't interpret God's silence as absence. Don't interpret God's silence as absence. Jesus knew all about John, and your Heavenly Father knows all about you as well. Kind of the other story that we could reference, but we've actually talked about it recently, so I didn't want to talk about it again, but is the story of Lazarus. If you've heard of the name Lazarus, Lazarus' two sisters were seeing that he was sick and he was maybe potentially dying. They send a messenger to Jesus, and it's kind of an interesting story in John 11. And basically, the point of that story basically is don't confuse God's apparent absence for apathy. Don't, don't confuse God's apparent absence as a reflection of his apathy towards you. That even though Jesus didn't respond the way that his uh, Lazarus' sisters and even Lazarus would have wanted, it didn't mean that he didn't care. It didn't mean that he was apathetic towards them. So um, as we kind of wrap up our time together, this message is kind of one of those messages where you're not saying to me like, oh, I'm so glad you told me this. I'm so glad I heard this. I just feel so much better. <laughs> this isn't one of those messages. It doesn't just, you don't walk away just immediately feeling better. But what I wanted to do today is just to start to talk about creating another category for how we think about situations in life. That your unanswered prayer does not mean that God is uninterested. That like you and John the Baptist, you and Lazarus and his sisters, and you and several other people, Mary and Martha, and all these different people, some of the finest people that have ever walked the planet and that were in the scriptures, you have something in common. That God's silence is not evidence of his absence. And God's apparent absence is not a reflection of apathy towards you. And how do we know that? Because of the story of John the Baptist and the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 and the story of so many others, that there really is a category that where you feel abandoned, that doesn't mean that you actually are abandoned. That there are seasons of life when it seems like God is silent and still, and yet the reality is that God is neither silent nor still. And I sort of love, again, these, this word from Jesus that he said, blessed is he, blessed is she, who does not stumble, who does not lose their faith on account of me, Jesus would say. And that for some of us, we are in a season right now, this whole coronavirus and everything that's going around, losing your job, financial struggles, all those things, isolation, 
We're in a season right now where some might question and doubt their faith, and maybe you are too, and we are so glad you're here. If you're doubting and question, we think this is the best place for you to be, that you are always welcome here. And a lot of us maybe have heard that term new normal, and this is kind of figuring out what the new normal is, and it's kind of become something I've said a lot, right, and trying to, you know, figure out what new things are and the old things that go away. But what I want to leave you with today is that the new normal still includes some of the old things, That the new normal includes God being present, God being concerned, and God being loving. So kind of to wrap up our time together, um, I want to to share a little bit of some of the great news about Easter that we talked about last week. And if you weren't with us last week, we're really glad you're with us this week. But just to kind of highlight Easter a little bit, um, I watch several different services throughout the week. That's kind of one of the things I binge watch as a pastor. And that seems very pastor-like, I get it. But um, it's kind of a way for, for Jesus to speak to me directly and not, you know, to be preparing something for other people, but also just to get ideas and just to kind of look at how other churches are, are doing. Um, and the church that I watched this last week was actually a church that um, my family has been connected to down in San Diego. Um, we actually invited my sister-in-law and their family to, to join this church called the Church at Rancho Bernardo. Um, and basically, I want to share some of the statements they said at Easter, and I kind of want to share them over you and speak them over you right now. As we continue on this series, they'll kind of be a little bit of a framework for us. And the power of the Easter story and how it impacts the in the meantime moments that many of us feel like we're in right now. So here's the statements. If Easter is true, they kind of all start that way. Because if Easter is true, a lot changes. In fact, a lot changes. In the meantime moments basically are completely changed. But if Easter is true, then suffering doesn't have the last word. Resurrection does. If Easter is true, then death doesn't end the story It begins a new one. And if Easter is true, then Christianity isn't a crutch for the weak. It's a renewal for the weary. And in this new normal that we feel, in this in-the-meantime situation, it still includes the idea that God is loving, God is present, and God is concerned about you. And it's okay to have doubts. John the Baptist had doubts. Lazarus and Mary and Martha had doubts about Jesus actually caring for them. Because sometimes God seems silent, and it seems like God is uninterested. And yet we can cling to the fact that we think that God still is interested. That God sort of settled once and for all on the cross that he loves you because he would die for you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't have died for you. And then the whole idea of the Easter story, it brings us hope. That even if something happens right now, this isn't all there is to life. That God really is present, God is concerned, and God is loved.